0: Emily Green has spent months trying to understand how Mexico is policing its border. She's talked to immigration officials, to immigrants themselves. But to find the person she really wanted to talk to, a coyote, a person who ferries migrants from Central and South America to the U.S., she had to go to Guatemala.
1: And I think that when when I was in Guatemala last week, one of the things that that stood out to me is It seems like everybody there actually knows personally or knows of a coyote. It's like, yeah, isn't Fred around the corner? Doesn't he smuggle people? And so while in my last eight months, I've been seeking, desperately seeking a coyote there in Guatemala, it's like every other person has some role in the business.
0: Emily was working on a story for Vice News when she met Daniel.
1: So Daniel is a middle-aged man. He is a family man with three kids, and he transports migrants from Guatemala into Mexico. He says he does it twice a month. He calls himself El Guía, the guide.
0: So if I'm traveling
1: with Daniel, what does it look like? Lately, he's been going in sort of four-wheel drive trucks and convoys of four-wheel drive trucks. These are trucks usually only used by narco-traffickers, and the police just don't want to mess with the narco-traffickers. So there'll be maybe uh, 12 migrants in each truck, and there are three trucks. And then there's a car that goes ahead to alert of checkpoints. So you're sort of zooming down these back roads of Guatemala and into Mexico. Along the way,
0: Everyone gets paid. The police, the drug cartels, the government workers at each and every checkpoint.
1: Now he says because there's so many and he has to pay bribes at each one, that he generally has the migrants get out of the truck, walk around the checkpoint, and then he picks them up on the other
0: side. Daniel drives just one leg of this journey, getting the migrants as far as southern Mexico before turning around to do it all over again. And he gets paid well too.
1: He told me that he makes around six hundred fifty dollars per migrant that he transports. Six hundred and fifty bucks is what most Guatemalans make in a month. Now I, I want to clarify that number seemed high to me, but I asked him several times and he kept saying until I think he got tired of me. And he says he said to me, "Ya te dije, I already told you."
0: What What does Daniel think about? Trump's rhetoric,
1: about the rhetoric from the United States about immigration. He said that Trump's rhetoric is great because every time that Trump threatens to close down the border or deport a bunch of migrants or do something crazy, he says to the potential clients, he says, if you're going to go now, you better go now before the border closes, before Trump follows through on his threats. Trump, in some ways, is his own worst enemy. Every threat he makes is a publicity and marketing tool for the coyotes.
0: Today on the show, the business of immigration south of the border. Emily Green shares her lessons from a smuggler. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. see terms at discover.com credit card. What you're laying out is really these interesting economics of the decision to migrate, where, you know, you're talking about money paid to the cartels. We never talk about that when we talk about immigration and sort of what's influencing it. You're talking about, you know, the sort of marketing of this journey. And, how that plays into the decision to migrate. It seems to me, listening to you, like we've seen an influx of people coming to the border, but that may be because of us.
1: I definitely think that Trump's rhetoric has contributed to the influx of migrants at the border. What Daniel laid out to me is a scenario where he said, everybody wins except the migrants. The coyotes, like him, they come away with a lot of money. The cartels come away with money. The police come away with money. Or let's, let's be clear, the Guatemalan and Mexican police. The Guatemalan and Mexican immigration agents come away with money. He did say you can't really bribe the American Border Patrol agents. That doesn't happen. But yes, it's, it's, a, it's a win-win scenario for everybody except for the migrants. Why aren't the migrants winning? It's still a dangerous journey. And if something goes wrong, you know, they are the ones that usually pay the price. So you say that Daniel says,
0: you know, doing this job is getting kind of easier. How is Mexico's government responding to this surge of people from Guatemala going through their country trying to get to the United States?
1: Mexico has a new president who came in on December 1st, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador. And when Lopez Obrador came into office, he came in on a platform of, we are going to embrace the migrants and give them jobs, and there's more than enough jobs in Mexico. Now that Trump has threatened tariffs against Mexico and threatened trade relations with Mexico, Lopez Obrador has a very new tune, and he has taken a very hardline approach Two migrants over the weekend, he deployed the National Guard. It's a newly formed pseudo military force to its southern border. And he also has a new immigration czar. It's the former director of Mexico's prison system. That new immigration czar says he has a goal of deporting 2,500 migrants a day. That comes out to about 75,000 migrants a month. To put that in perspective, in January, Mexico only deported around 5,000 migrants. To avoid
0: crushing tariffs, Mexico agreed to try to drastically reduce the number of immigrants approaching the U.S. seeking asylum. One way they've been doing that is by sending the National Guard to patrol Mexico's southern border. Emily's been watching all
1: that play out from a town called Comitan. Last night, I went out to a checkpoint, It's a two-lane highway, and there were about seven to eight National Guard officers guarding the checkpoint and stopping cars and looking in, looking for migrants, opening the backs of trailers to see if they were hidden there. The thing that is striking to me is they are carrying these massive guns. Now, if I knew a little bit more about guns, I could tell you what they were. All I can say is they are really big, like two feet long. Is that new? That is new. I mean, they've, they've had checkpoints in Mexico for many years now, and they have had support, for example, from the federal police. But to have seven or eight heavily armed military officers at a single checkpoint, that is new. In your
0: reporting, I was really struck by just how much work these troops on the border were doing to sort out who was who like talking to people to see if they knew the local lingo even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I was, I was kind of struck by that too. They go, they they walk onto these commercial buses and they kind of take a look around. And, and honestly, as an American, I can't, I can't, I, I don't distinguish well between who's Mexican and who's Guatemalan. There are subtle differences in the accents uh, between Guatemalans and Mexicans and Hondurans and they use different phrases and that's how they start deciding who's a migrant and who's not and then they and from there they ask for for further documentation to show that they can legally be in that part of Mexico.
0: Does Daniel the coyote that you spent some time with does he prepare the people he's traveling with for these kinds of questions like teaches them vocab and, and what they need to know?
1: No because the people that he carries are hopefully never going to be interacting with immigration agents. And I think that's one of the things that that struck me is that in this crackdown of migrants in Mexico, who were the first to get caught? It's the folks that don't have money to pay for a smuggler and are traveling alone. The smugglers are working hard to make sure that their clients, the migrants they're carrying, the migrants they're transporting are never having to Im- interact with immigration agents. You know, they, they're they getting to a checkpoint, paying off the guard, and phew, they go. They zoom on. How is he changing
0: what he does to accommodate this more rigid, more militarized system?
1: It's very new in the game still. I mean, the, the National Guard was just deployed over the weekend. And so I think that that is still being figured out. But, you know, they're looking for new routes, and there are many of them. The Mexico-Guatemala border is about 540 miles long, and most of it is remote and largely unmonitored. There's vast swaths of forest and mountains. And what he said to me is, we're going to be using more trucks to go into the mountains because, he said, the military doesn't go there because they get their clothes dirty. He kind of Mm -hmm. said that derisively, like, you know, they don't want to go to the mountains. They want to be on the highways at checkpoints where we're not going to pass through.
0: It's interesting to hear you describe Daniel. It sounds like a tour guide from like a youth group traveling around Europe or taking an educational trip to Cuba. Like <laughs> he's, he's you know, making sure everything's OK along the way and he's getting people there but he sounds so
1: casual about it. He is casual about it, but this is not a casual business. This is a multi-million if not billion dollar business. He told me this one story that happened recently. He was carrying five adults and two kids and they were going to the Mexican border when they were stopped by a Guatemalan officer. The Guatemalan officer essentially wanted to extort them beyond the normal fee and said, you know, if, if you don't pay up, we can bring you in for trafficking people. And he just laughed in her face and he then called up one of his contacts, that contact being the chief of the agency that investigates corrupt officers in Guatemala. And basically that that chief said, you know, she's got to let you go or she's going to lose her job. And within a couple of minutes, they were zooming along. So Daniel, as low key and relaxed as he was with me, I think that he can be quite brutal when it when it comes to brass tacks.
0: And it sounds like he has a lot of power in some ways.
1: He has a lot of contacts. He has a lot of contacts with the police. I venture to say also with, with politicians And as we talked about before, this is a business and people are making money off the business. I I just wanna make a link for you. So the cartels earn, I've heard estimates from anywhere from $20 to $500 per migrant. And that alone is millions of dollars a month. When you say the cartels, what do you mean? Like the, the major criminal organizations in Mexico, Jalisco New Generation, the Zetas, the Gulf Cartel, very powerful and ruthless criminal organizations that really control wide swaths of land in Mexico. These same criminal organizations are very often tied to politicians. They contribute to the politicians' campaigns. And so politicians, too, are are sort of linked to the business of smuggling by that connection.
0: It's interesting to hear you lay all this out, because I think about, you know, the last month of immigration news in the United States, where we have Donald Trump saying we have this new agreement with Mexico. You have Lopez Obrador saying, you know, saying the same thing. But no one's talking about the smugglers and no one's talking about the cartels. And it seems to me like if we're not talking about those people or even to those people,
1: this problem isn't gonna go anywhere. I think that's right. One of the hard aspects is it's hard to talk to the smugglers and it's hard to talk to the cartels. It's hard to get at, but I do think that it's something that's frequently overlooked. It's just the multi-million, perhaps billion dollar business of smuggling migrants into the US. And there's so many people profiting from it that it's gonna be very hard to stop. And at the same time, you have Trump making these threats about closing down the border that that coyotes then just use to, to tell migrants to come now before it's too late.
0: Emily, thank you so much for taking the time. Stay safe out there.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Emily Green is a freelance reporter based in Mexico City. You can find her story about Daniel on Vice News. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Thanks for listening. Talk to you Monday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?